Are you looking for a scalable, targeted, hugely optimizable marketing method to increase both customer acquisition and customer retention? Then you need to know about mail order catalogs. You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates, and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. I'm Chloe Thomas, the host of this Marketing Focus podcast. If you're not familiar with our format, each month we focus on a different marketing method like email or SEO or Facebook ads. And each week I interview a different marketing method expert to explore the latest advice on making that marketing method work for you. Last month we tackled where to focus your marketing activity now that cookies are leaving us. To expand on that, this month we are all about offline marketing. Yes, I'm on a mission to encourage you to spend some of your marketing budget off the internet. In the last episode, we talked about simple direct mail pieces where you can use all your targeting and segmentation skills and even incorporate it into your email and SMS automation flows. In today's episode, we're exploring much, much bigger direct mail pieces. The tools that began the buying from home revolution over 100 years ago, yes, it's mail order catalog time. Quite frankly, we could do a whole month on catalogs and only scrape the surface of what they offer you. So what we're trying to do in this episode is I've got on um, someone with even more, well, huge experience in catalogs. I have a little bit, they have a huge amount, and we are going to be taking you through kind of like the key things you need to know before you get started to both kind of help you understand how to do it but also help you understand how exciting and interesting and optimizable and geeky a marketing channel it can be. We're going to meet today's guest and get into all of that in a moment. But before we do, please do check out our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the email and SMS marketing platform that helps you send messages like an e-commerce expert, even if you're just getting started. Create your free account at klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Today, I'm chatting with offline marketing expert, David Lockwood. David has been involved with the direct mailing and marketing of impressive UK retailers throughout his career. After 20 years driving growth for top UK online brands like Bowdoin and Direct Wines, he co-founded the Tapestry Agency to help multi-channel retailers grow faster and more profitably. Hello, David. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. I am ridiculously excited to get to talk catalogues on a podcast. Splendid. Um, so hopefully I won't just waffle on and I'll give you some chance to speak because my knowledge is about 10 years out of date. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be far more useful for the audience to hear from you than it is to hear from me. But um, before before we get properly deep into catalogues, how did you end up in this world of kind of offline and catalogue marketing? Well, when I started out in direct consumer, so the first job I had out of university, there wasn't really any other direct marketing available. Uh, I, I am significantly old, which means that uh, when I first started doing this, there wasn't email, email didn't really exist as a channel. And certainly there was no paid search, Facebook, there were none of those things. So it was all offline marketing. And in the business I was working in at the time, it was all catalog marketing. So it was um, understanding the kind of complexities of how to formulate a catalogue that's going to drive responses 
and how that changes with the different media you're using. So inserts versus existing customer catalogs versus new customer catalogs versus, you know, so all of those different ways of putting a catalog in front of people have different nuances and different ways in being able to make them work. And for those of you who are going, what, there's more than one type of catalog? Don't worry, we're going to get onto that. Um, first off, David, let's start with the real basics. Who do catalogues work for? I would argue that almost anyone, in fact, because I've seen lots of um, business to business catalogues work. But our specialism is in people who are able to sell direct to consumer. If you have got a website and you've got a product that is appealing to enough people, so if your proposition is right, then there's no reason that proposition shouldn't be able to translate into a catalogue format as long as you're not a single product proposition. So as long as you're not just selling one type of mattress, that makes catalogues a bit tricky. But as long as you've got a range of products, then catalogues should work for you. So it's definitely ranges and it's you understand your... I'm not going to say it's you've already proved your product, but you're very, very confident in your product market fit. Because I know some brands have launched incredibly well with catalogues, but you need to be confident there's customers out there who definitely want your product. But that's the same as any brand you put together. So that would be the same if you decided to launch a brand on Facebook. You Before going to all the difficulty of setting up that proposition and and getting the product in before doing any of that in the first place you'd have done your homework on is there a marketplace for me and can I sell into that marketplace but but yes in exactly the same way you know if you understand there's a market there if there's if you understand how your proposition is going to fit with that market then then yes it's for you and I've always thought that catalogs is is a marketing method that not enough online only brands have been using, partly because it's where I started my career as well. So I, I have a soft spot for them. But also because if you've got the money to start cataloging, because you can't start it with a thousand pounds, let's just put that out there straight away. There's a bit of a barrier to entry in terms of the investment you need to create it, to have enough stock to fulfill it, to do it worthwhile, which makes it, I think, for a, for a proven online brand who've done well with the online channels, it's kind of a no-brainer place to go because there is that barrier to entry. Yes. I mean, there are some challenges if you're a digital-only business. I've been pulling together catalogues for, for years, and there's stuff that we know is going to work. There's stuff we know is definitely not going to work. There are ways of being able to present things to customers that take some understanding and some knowledge. But yes, there is a there's a big enough barrier to entry that could give you market benefit if you're up to a size to be able to afford to put a catalog mailing out there. Yeah, because you've got a you've got the photography, the print, the design, as you mentioned, getting someone who's done this before on side, because well, whilst Facebook ads have only been around for what, maybe five to ten years in any format at all, and kind of five years in advance, we kind of know what we're doing scenario. Catalogues have been around for a hundred years, and there's been an awful lot of science putting into what does and what doesn't work. So you want to get someone on board who knows what they're talking about, because it will fast track your optimization massively. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, that's not to say there aren't there isn't room to bend those rules significantly. And, and actually, some of the very best catalogues I've seen take those rules and bend them to almost breaking. 
<laughs> but they understand the rules they're breaking in the first place. So they understand how can I produce the most responsive piece of paper-based catalog marketing and how can I then bend it and flex it to be as reflective of my brand and brand identity as I can possibly make it. So it, 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 it's understanding what's going to work and it's understanding what you're going to stop working and whether you care about that when you bend and when you make those rules a little more malleable. I guess it's in some ways what we do with any marketing channel is my brand needs to be like this. You know, or, or I guess everyone says the founder should be on the video, for example, and you're just like, our founder is never going to get on a video. So we've got to dump that bit. How do we then turn this format to make it work for us, even though the founder isn't in the video. It's a terrible example, but hopefully guys listening, you know what I'm talking about. We've we've quite quickly got quite technical in catalogs. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pull us back a little bit. Um if you were chatting to a D2C brand who wanted to grow their sales, how would you persuade them that catalogs is something they should be testing in 2022? I.e. why should we want to be doing catalogs? So Having worked with a lot of brands that have gone in both directions, so I've worked with a number of brands who've started off being um, offline direct consumer marketers and who've moved into the online space. And I've worked with a lot of brands who are online only and moved them into the and moved them into offline marketing. There are kind of relatively sensible measures that you get, and that is catalogs are generally by some distance, particularly for your existing, but also for new customers, the most responsive piece of media that people use. So if you're already doing emails to your existing customers, generally, catalog response rates will be at least 10 times more than your email than your email response rates. So you're able to talk to people in a way that they are engaging with your brand and you know that they're engaging with the brand more. The second point is the ability to be able to send posts to someone is actually a little bit easier than the ability to send email to people. And so people are fairly constantly switching between different email addresses or putting post uh, or putting suffixes or prefixes on their email addresses to allow them to filter out different types of uh, content. However, your postal, your physical postal address, now I know on average people move every seven years, but your physical postal address doesn't change as often or as drastically as your as your email address. So it allows you to talk to more people. It puts it directly in front of them, whereas we know with emails, for example, it can flip them into a promos folder or a spam folder or whatever type of folder setup uh, uh, people's uh, inboxes have. So it, it's it, it's arriving on someone's doorstep. And as long as you've got the visual cut through as it lands on that doorstep, it is going to give brand engagement in a way that you don't get through other channels. It, it has its own space. It's not fighting for space on a page with a display advert with 97 other people selling beautifully comfortable socks or whatever it is you happen to be selling. <laughs> um, so you're you get your own space, you get your own cut through, and, and through that you get brand engagement in a way that can be a challenge in some other channels. It's very well explained, by the way. <laughs> Huge response rates, very good for brand and for, for earning the money. Um, you mentioned earlier that there's kind of different types of catalogue. 
Because I think a lot of people would have thought you just produce one catalogue and you send it to a load of people. But you mentioned about, you know, having customer acquisition catalogues, having um, repeat customer catalogues, having insert catalogues, because the catalogue, as well as being a great way for getting repeat customers, is also a great way for getting new customers on board. So could you explain a little bit about both kind of like the different ways we might use a catalogue and how we might tweak it a bit to fit those different markets, target markets? It's the same with any media, really. Um, you can be what I have called in other environments, spray and pray with your marketing, which is you create one thing and send it to everyone and hope that one thing sprays enough people that you get enough response out. But you're probably not doing that with your email campaigns and you're probably not doing that with your Facebook campaigns. To the people who you've never put yourself in front of before, the message you'll want to give and the products you'll want to put in front of those people will be very different to someone who's bought from you every three months for the last 12 years. And the type of product those customers engage with is likely to be different. If you don't know, then go away and find out. Do your <laughs> new customers buy exactly the same products as your existing customers? I, I doubt it. And the longevity of your customers, the longer they're with you, do their buying patterns change? And it's likely that that's true as well. Therefore, a catalogue aimed at new customers should be focused around the products that new customers engage with with your brand. So the front cover should be the best-selling product for new customers. It's not there to give, here's all the interesting new stuff, new product we've launched this month, because your new customers, people who don't know you, don't care about all the new product. What they care about is the best-selling product, because that is what's most likely to engage them. Your existing customers, and I mentioned it, are much more likely to want to know about what's new and exciting and interesting. I've seen your existing product range from last season. I know exactly what's in there. Show me new colorways. Show me new different ways you've pulled stuff together. Show, you know, show me the new product. Show me the new and interesting stuff. And that's, at that, that's just at the new versus existing customer level. Obviously, you can become significantly more granular in that. And you might, for example, find your very best customers who have only ever engaged by, by responding near to where a catalogue has dropped need the entire full range in a catalogue. So it might need to be a really thick 60, 70, 80 page catalogue. In businesses I've worked in before, the biggest catalogue of the year has been 160, 170 page catalogue. However, people who just need a nudge to drive them to buy in a digital environment might well only need to see a brilliant edit of this season's newest launches, this season's greatest products, what you've got to be, what you need right now. And so therefore, you may end up with one or two, two or three, three or four different catalogues um, for different uses for different types. However, if you've never done one before, all you need to do is create one and find out what parts of that catalog are going to work for bringing new customers into the business and for engaging existing customers 
and you'll test and learn as you go on and your catalogs will over time become more 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 delineated from each other they'll become more different from each other but initially you don't need to go into that complexity and that difficulty it is creating a single catalog that best represents your product range and brand and putting that out there to existing and new customers and then tracking the response of each seeing who it appeals to seeing what data is working for you measurement is vital um but measurements are vital in any direct to consumer environment but you want to measure at least in one way and, and probably in two. So the likelihood is you're going to, with your catalogue, have some form of code that people can type in to say that this is where they found you. That's not the only way, however, of working out if someone you've sent a catalogue to has responded. Actually, for most people, the best way of doing that is what's in the industry called match back or back match depending on which way <laughs> it's the one of the most annoying things the industry has yet to decide which way around it wants to call back um <laughs> can, I, can i just clarify it hasn't decided it in several decades oh, yeah, it, listening. It, it, this is why we're it, laughing right, well, um so, but that's where you take the list of all the names and addresses you mailed the list of the names and addresses of everyone who responded and find out where they match uh, and that will then let you understand of the people i mailed how many of those responded within a sensible window now the window you use will depend on the product you're selling if you if you're selling a product that has a 40 or 50 day consideration window because it's a 300 pound product you want to make sure that you're allowing enough time for that consideration window to have passed into purchase if you're selling something which is likely to translate into a purchase really quickly then you probably only want to allow 14 20 somewhere in the region of two, three, four weeks. That's going to give us our, our response across our different catalogues that we're posting out. You mentioned earlier about inserts because sending catalogues out doesn't necessarily mean knowing someone's address in order to do it. So what are our routes for, for using catalogues to get new customers via the inserts route? Well, there are two or three different ways of thinking about inserts. Um, first of all, there's inserts, as we probably all recognize them, which is uh, you'll open your glossy Sunday uh, supplements and inside there, there'll be small catalogs uh, and they have to be small because of weight restrictions, but there'll be small catalogs for brands that you will have recognized that are trying to get new customers to engage with their product offerings. And that will involve producing probably somewhere like an eight or a 16 page edit of your range that, again, is trying to drive new customers into your brand to be able to put that catalog in front of those in front of people in that environment. Inserts can also be used in terms of buying space in other people's parcels. So I've done quite a lot of this historically where you find a brand that is likely to have like-minded customers you talk to the marketing director of that brand and say i've got this catalog could i put it in with your when you know when you're sending out your products can i slip my catalog in there as well uh, and you can do an insert on that basis where you either pay for that space or swap that space with those people to allow you to find new audiences in that way which i assume it's still the same as it was when when i used to manage such things if you find the right people to partner with, it can be one of your most profitable, and I mean profitable, customer acquisition channels. Oh, it can be hugely profitable. 
the rollout potential tends to be a little bit stymied because finding enough people who can give you enough volume for you to roll out into to to give you 20 or 30,000 new customers when you get up to that kind of heady, heady numbers is challenging. But certainly you can definitely bring in profitable at the point of recruit customers on a reasonably regular and a very safe basis if you get the right partner. Yeah. And then it's it's all, all volumes and I'm about to waffle on about something that we don't need to go into. So I'm Chloe, I'm going to stop that. Um, David, are there any other routes we might take on the, the insert front or have we covered them all? Those are the two core ones. And when I'm talking about inserting in the Sunday supplements, that was perhaps a little bit glib in the same way that when you're targeting your Facebook audience or however you're putting yourself out into the marketplace, you'll be really clear around who you're wanting to target and why you're wanting to target them. You can absolutely do that with insert media. So when I'm talking about inserts, I'm talking about everything from what's the biggest circulation nowadays, probably the um, Mail on Sunday, Mm -hmm. all the way down to Crochet Weekly. Um, I don't know if that even exists as a title, but if it does, (laughs) I guarantee they'll accept inserts. But, but, But you can have huge million plus circulation titles all the way down to relatively niche interest and working out a group of those titles which fit your product offering can frequently be your 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 best audience so if you're looking for a slightly older more female audience you're probably not going to be looking at you know your auto auto weekly you're, <laughs> you're more likely to be looking at the the more lifestyle female magazines and dependent on again the location and um and wealth of your audience you might be looking at anywhere from the lady or cotswold life down to through marie claire down to rare you know so, so there are a huge raft of ways in which you can target your audience really quite carefully to get the right to get your offering in front of the right people. But again, like creating a catalogue and designing your own in-house mailing plan, speaking to an expert, going to say this again, finding someone who who manages inserts for you is well worth doing because they will know what price you should be paying, how to get the best deal, which ones are a, a good fit for you. So this is very much not a pick up the phone and call the Daily Mail oh, scenario, n- isn't it? Number one, they won't talk to you. Um, uh, um, they're just not interested in talking to three or four hundred different end users they want to go through an agency and finding people who understand what that space looks like what's available out there what your response rate should be how many new customers you should be getting what that should look like and someone who can advise you on what parts of that insert are likely to be the response generating parts. So which of those parts you definitely not want to get rid of and which of those parts are easy come, easy go. So um, that's where the someone with some experience can really help you understand what you should be doing in that space and how you should be putting it together. It also means you don't have to find the biggest news agent in your area and go and take photos of all the magazines you think you potentially should be in, because trust me, a lot of the ones you'll find yourself in will not even be in the news agent. Um, David, one big piece of this we haven't yet talked about is 
new customer acquisition postal data? Because I'm sure the audience have realized to mail a catalog to your existing customers is quite easy because they've given you their mailing address. But no one's going to put a pop-up on their website saying, please give us your postal address so we can send you a catalog. Although you should have a page allowing people to sign up for your catalog, everybody. Um, So how do we go about getting data? Because we're not copying it out the phone book. There are better ways to do it than that. How do we access this cold data to send our catalogs out to for acquisition? So there are a couple of ways. Um, The first is one that's been around for as long as the hills, is you can either buy or swap data with a like-minded company. So again, people who are looking for the same kind of audience as you, you can agree with them to swap 5,000 names, 500 names. Uh, for, for you give them 500, they give you 500 or 5,000. You mail out and you measure the responsiveness. You then understand which of those data sources you swapped with are giving you the best bang for your buck and push harder at those and find more like those and walk away from the ones that didn't work so well. If you don't swap, you may be able to buy those names on the market. And there are list brokers whose job it is to do that kind of thing to to help you find those lists. Actually, the majority of people we work with do most of their data sourcing through what's called data cooperatives. There are several in the UK, uh, four that I can think of off the top of my head, there are at least five. And I think I've just thought of a sixth. Anyway, (laughs) um, uh, it started in the UK with a company called Abacus, who uh, has now rebranded Epsilon. And the purpose of it is lots of direct consumer companies pull their data into a central pot. Abacus, and for Abacus, read any of the other data cooperatives, and we'll list some of the others, but Abacus were the first on the scene. Um, Abacus use clever computing to say, your customers, the ones you've given me, also shop from these seven other brands. And so what about the people who shop from those seven other brands who haven't shopped for you? They should be a good prospect for you. It's much more complex than that. It's a bit like the Facebook algorithm, but done cooperatively, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's finding lookalike audiences. And then you take those names out of the Abacus Alliance, for which you charge, for which they charge you some cash. And to do it, you also have to put your names in. And those names tend to be pretty responsive. The reason they're responsive is they've proved that they respond direct to consumer. <laughs> and they've proved they respond, respond direct to consumer to at least two other brands. Because Abacus won't allow names to be swapped unless they're buying for at least from at least two other names in the alliance. So, so there are many reasons that that's a good source. It also has a really big, really good depth of names. So as you start finding, I've done my first 5,000 mailing, the response was great. Can I mail 50,000? Can I mail 10,000? Can I mail 100,000? It allows you to test at depth really quite easily. So uh, I have mentioned Abacus, so it would be remiss of me not to mention at least a few others. So uh, Experian does something similar through what used to be called Club Canvas. Transactus does something similar. iBehavior do something similar. Sub2 used to. I'm not sure they still do something similar. But there (laughs) there are a number of other uh, offerings out there in that uh, data cooperative space. And wherever you are in the world, 
there will be someone doing something similar so to. Abacus came to the UK from the US. Uh, I have done the same thing on data cooperatives in Australia, Germany, France, America, Canada. I, I, yeah, I mean, uh, loads and loads and loads of different countries. Co-ops exist in almost every country I've ever traded in. Yeah, and the the great one of the other great things about the co-ops is you get that scalability of names, which means you're you you're for you and your team, there's a lot less time spent trying to identify individual titles and brands that you can swap data with. So it's a huge time saver yeah, as well. It, it, it gives you that scalability, which is what some people struggle with with offline marketing, thinking it's a lot of hassle. I've got to talk to 40 different people just to get 15,000 names to mail. You don't necessarily. You can think about how a data cooperative works. You can think about a single point of call in order to get that data. And you will get robust performing data that should continue to perform time after time. That's not to say swap data isn't great. Many of the clients we work with, their best performing data are, are, are their swap list data. However, Swap list data will only take you so far in terms of rollout volume, generally. Yeah, I seem to remember my, our biggest frustration with new customer acquisition data when I was doing the management of all this this sort of thing was, why haven't they grown more since last year? <laughs> you know, oh, our three best, I'm not going to name names. It was like, why, why can't they get more customers? <laughs> Can we persuade them to get more customers? Because they, you know, just unbelievably profitable as well, as good as mailing our core house list, uh, you know, just, just phenomenal performance. And, and, you know, I had the same problem at, at, at both Bowdoin and Direct Wines. They were people who were mailing huge quantities and they were very big companies. And so there weren't many people who were prepared to swap the kind of volumes that I needed to keep myself to keep myself fed in that kind of in that kind of new customer environment. So so yes, that one of the many other reasons for using the co-ops. Yeah. And um David, we've mentioned I'm kind of kind of gonna draw us to a close on catalogues now, but I figure and apologies, guys, I don't have the names of these because I only thought of this as David was talking, so I haven't done my research, but we'll make sure this is in the show notes for you. But it occurs to me a great place for people to go to if they're looking for more information on this would be in the UK, the Direct Commerce Association, which is the heart of the mail order world. And um, both David and I have been involved with for almost, well, David probably for 20 years and me for almost 20 years and brilliant people, very willing to share knowledge and ideas, but a good, good place to go. And the American one, I can't remember the name of, David. Is it Ni? Because with an N. <laughs> I want to say Nemo. I know it's not Nemo. Uh, uh, annoyingly, I've spoken at it twice and I still can't remember its name <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, but yes, we will put it in Is the it show Namoa? <laughs> Namoa. Well done. Namoa. Yeah. We got there. Um, apologies if anyone from Namoa is listening. Um, but we'll make sure links to both of those are in there and I will um, find the links to the European versions, etc. as well for those of you who are interested. And we'll put all that in the show notes for the episode because that's a, a good place to go to get some knowledge. Um, David, before we before we move on to the next section of our interview and get into the insider tips, is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with that we really should have mentioned in the world of catalogues? There are other ways to get catalogues out there. Uh, there are door drops, which are where you find postcodes or, or, or sub-post districts that are particularly that you think are likely to contain your audience, and the postman just drops it through their postbox unaddressed. There's partially addressed mail, 
where um, you are delivering to an address, not the person at the address. That means you can target in a really defined way exactly those people. And there's not forgetting your owned media. You own the parcels going out your door. You should be including something. And if you are in the printed world, you should be including the best of your current range, the newest parts of your current range, what's just gone on sale. You should be including something for your existing customers in there. That's media you own, and you should be taking the most advantage of it you possibly can. Excellent. I love those. Well, look, um, everyone, we are going to pause now for a mind of our sponsors. And then we're going to talk about the wider world of offline marketing, which I suspect may include a few more catalogue tips. So stay tuned. Do you know what the email and SMS marketing platform most frequently recommended by our podcast guests is? Yup, it's Klaviyo, the email and SMS marketing platform that helps you send messages like an e-commerce expert, even if you're just getting started. Create your free account at klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Okay, David, so far we have gone deep into mail order catalogues. Now you get to wow us with your insider knowledge about the whole of offline marketing. So for the following questions, your answer can be anything to do with offline marketing, which does, of course, include everything we've already been talking about. So, David, are you ready for these? Yeah. Okay, let's start with newbie advice. If we've inspired someone to take their first step, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? We've said it. Don't try and go alone. It's really difficult to use a channel and a method of marketing you've never used before without some form of input from someone outside. You don't have to be the expert at everything in your business. Working with a number of businesses has taught me that, you know, be brilliant at your proposition and brand and product and use people where you need to who've got the marketing skills to help you take that next step forward don't think you have to do it without someone holding your hand. Excellent advice. Um, now, once you've started, of course, you've got to keep optimizing. So what's your favorite way to improve performance? This is a bit challenging because coming up with just one is something I'm really bad at. Um, we'll, we'll take a couple if you want uh, to give us a couple. Okay. Um, the first one is actually really dull, but the first one is really important. Understand how and what you're measuring. So, so before you start anything, before you start any channel, any new channel in any way, understand how you're going to measure the responsiveness of that channel and what the measures of success of that channel are going to look like. And it is incredibly dull, but it's really important that you go in your eyes wide open as to what's going to work and how it's going to work and what tells me it's worked and what doesn't. The second one is a bit more fun, um, I guess, uh, which is remembering always that all direct consumer, digital, online, offline, all of it is a huge test and learn environment. And make sure that you never tire of coming up with brilliant new things to test, whether that's a new channel, a new creative execution, a new promotion, a new product range, a range extent, whatever it is. Make sure you're testing and learning always. And really importantly, because I've seen people not do this, rolling out the winners from those test and learn environments. <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy to get caught up in the day to day and forget that you've got some brilliant winners that you need to push forward with harder. 
Yes, I think we, we've all been there and we've gone and looked back at the previous year and gone, oh, why didn't we do that again? <laughs> that worked really, or hopefully we haven't all been there. But but yeah, things do slip through the cracks. Always super important to record what actually worked. Um, okay, David, if someone listening wants to learn more about what we've been talking about, is there one cheap or free resource you'd recommend? Probably two or three, again, uh, being slightly irritating. Um, uh, you mentioned DCA earlier. Uh, I have been part of the DCA setup for more than 20 years. And you learn most when you are finding someone who's either in your position right now or has been in your position, or you've got things you can share, problems you can solve together. And you can shortcut so many of the things that you might do wrong by talking to someone who's been there and done that. And that's one of the places you can do it. There are also, and um, uh, this is a slightly shameless plug, but there are also, um, we run uh, sessions on a relatively regular basis um, for um, marketing directors and business owners, where we run sessions around individual topics that are free to attend. And um, any one of my, any one of the team at the business will help you be involved in those, where it's like a round table, where you get to discuss with like-minded people in the industry, discrete topics, whether that's how to expand your business into the US or how are you coping with the current paper price increases or, you know, really, really discrete or really huge problems. And and so we run those on a um, relatively regular basis. Excellent. And people can find those at the tapestryagency.com. Com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I knew if I went for one, I'd get the wrong one. Yeah, so yeah. the tapestryagency.com and the DCA is the Direct Commerce Association, which we'll put the link to that one in um, in the show notes for you. Uh, Jane and Victoria are going to be so pleased with us today. <laughs> <laughs> They're the people who run the DCA for anyone uh, uh, listening. Okay. Finally, David, it's crystal ball time. What's coming up in the next six to 12 months that we should be getting ready for in offline marketing? Again, uh, slightly difficult to pinpoint one thing, but I would expect people who are already in the offline environment to continue and perhaps even accelerate the use of offline marketing as the post-cookie environment gets more difficult in the digital world. I would also expect people to be more thoughtful around how they tie in their often online marketing to make them delivering the same objectives at the same time to the same groups of people. And then the third one, um, because I've been asked for one, so three seems about normal. Uh, the The third one would be people working much harder to understand the incremental impact of them offline marketing activities. So understanding how all of their marketing channels interact with each other and understanding at the margins how incremental is each part of the activity I'm putting together. Yeah, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? If we're sending a catalogue and we're doing some Facebook ads and we're sending emails, which one drove the sale? (laughs) Um, That is a whole podcast series on its own. So I'm going to end that bit there. Um, David, we are very nearly at the end of this show. So for those listeners who want to to find out more, to speak to you, to find out what the tapestry agency could do do for them, where do they go? What do you do? How can you help them? So we are uh, online at thetapestryagency.com. That's where you'll find out kind of big chunks about us, how we help people, how we 
look at all of our marketing from a customer-centric standpoint and help people understand which marketing channels are helping to drive that customer-centric behavior. We have spent all of today talking about uh, offline marketing. We are entirely channel neutral and, in fact, spend quite a lot of time working with our clients to balance their channel portfolio across as many different channels as possible. You'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm um, David Lockwood, Tapestry. Those two combined should help you find me. And I'm very happy to connect with people and, and help start up a conversation and work out where we can take it from there. Excellent. Thank you, David. And thank you so much for coming on and uh, and chatting catalogues with us. I think we've um, we've covered all the big catalogue points and given the audience an awful lot to think about and hopefully inspired a few of them to send catalogues out. And if we have, guys, please send me photos. I want to see your catalogues. Um, David, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great chatting with you. No worries. Thank you. So a lot there, everyone, to get you thinking. And I guess that's one of the key things about catalogues is they are, um, what I wanted to do in this episode was kind of um, enlighten you about different angles to think about in doing catalogue marketing and explain how hugely powerful it can be for, for your brand and how many of those things we do with our online marketing, we can replicate in the offline space. The two key messages to take from this are one, catalogues are hugely powerful. And two, there's a lot of intricacy to them. And there's an awful lot of people you can learn from and methods you can learn from to accelerate how quickly and how well they work from you, even the very first time you send them. So do make sure you are tapping into those resources, not trying to reinvent the wheel because you'll waste an awful lot of time, energy and money trying to do that. And in my experience, the mail order industry is one of the friendliest, uh, most sharing spaces going. So I'd highly recommend getting involved with whoever the body is of you know that brings together people in this space in your in your country and the Direct Commerce Association. We regularly share on our email newsletter what they're up to here in the UK, and they are in this post-COVID world running an awful lot of free online content that will help you get up to speed super quick. So um that would be my recommendation. So lots to think about, catalog formats, um, design, where you get the data from both internally and externally, the world of inserts, which of course saves you an awful lot of money on postage. There's a lot, a lot to think about and a lot of optimization opportunity in that space too. Right. You can get the links to all the many things David and I mentioned, the full transcript of this episode, important notes and more at keepoptimizing.com. There you can also sign up for our monthly Q&A webinar where we will be bringing back all of our offline marketing specialists to answer your questions in a live Q&A session. So go to keepoptimizing.com to sign up for that. Thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Keep Optimizing podcast. In the next episode, we're still all about offline marketing, but we're shifting away from things that arrive in the post. So stay tuned to find out what that's all going to be about. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do tell your fellow marketers about the show because I want to help as many marketers as possible to improve their performance of their e-commerce marketing. Have a brilliant week and make sure you listen to the next episode so I can help you to keep optimizing your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimizing at keepoptimizing.com. That's with an S, not a Z.